Hey guys, welcome to the Swish Woodlad podcast and a special welcome to all the new listeners who have come over from the SNZ platform. What a lad has now partnered up with SNZ, so I'm super excited to see how this relationship develops over the next wee while. But as always, this What a Lad episode is brought to you by Swish. Super grateful to have Swish on board as the major sponsor of the podcast. And if you don't know what Swish is, it's an awesome platform where you can get a video message directly from one of your favourite sports stars. It is the perfect gift idea for any sports lover and there's sports stars all around the world on there already. The best thing about it all is that up to 70% of the proceeds do go to Kiwi Kids Charities, so you can feel really good about your purchase. And just for being a Waterlad listener, you can get 10% off your order by using the code Waterlad with no spaces. I'll leave a link in the description, so just go click on that if you're keen to check it out. Also, if there's anyone listening who is suffering from muscle or joint pain, then I have just what you need. Pure Sport is offering 20% off all of their products if you use the code WATERLAD20. They are the most tested and trusted CBD oil in the world. Some of the biggest names in sports swear by it as it's the ideal recovery tool or just to help you get away from the harsh effects of the constant anti-inflammatories. If you're keen to try it, head over to puresport.com or click the link in the description. And lastly, don't forget that there's still plenty of Waterlad hats and Waterlad hoodies in stock. So go get amongst those if you're keen to support. And I am very appreciative of all the support this podcast has had so far. Keep sharing, keep liking, keep subscribing. Do what you can to help this thing grow. But let's get to it. Oh. Oh wow, what a lad. And I have a massive lad on for you guys today. The city of Sydney will be breathing a lot easier this week after their star player has recently signed with the Waratahs for another two more years. Massive news out of Sydney. But before he was a Super Rugby star, he was a beast in the UK Premiership for firstly Saracens, but even more so for London Irish. And now that he's back in Australia, I promise you, it will not be long till we see him in the gold jersey. He's a hell of a player and a hell of a lad. It is the great Dave Parecki. Welcome, mate. Thanks, mate. What an uh, absolute privilege it is to be on this massive podcast of yours. I've seen you from the very bottom to now the top. It's incredible to see. Mate, and great to have you on to boost my Aussie listeners. But like I said in the intro... Um, huge news out of Sydney, would have been front page all over the Sydney Herald and stuff over there. Um, was it an easy decision for you? Yeah, um, actually happened like pretty quickly to be fair. Um, and yeah, it was, it was easy for me. Like it was, um, we were sort of looking, well, as you do, like in contract negotiations, I'm pretty open to anything. Um, just want to see like what's out there. Um, obviously I've got an English passport, so um, there were a couple of little sniffs over there as well, just heading back. But because it happened so quickly here and like essentially what I, like the whole reason I came back, as soon as they said they were keen, I was pretty much like, yep, just make it happen um, and get it done. Because obviously like the worst thing I hate is um, things that I, I'm not like sort of the type of player that go, oh, no, 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 I'll wait and keep playing. I'm like, I want it done <laughs> in my own brain, you know? I want it, uh, I want that security. Yeah. So, um, yeah, as soon as that happened, I was like to my agent, please just, um, if you can just wrap this up quickly, then I can just sort of concentrate on footy. And uh, especially this year, like we're actually obviously doing a little bit better than last year. So it makes it better. 
Yeah, mate, nice. And how, how have you found it? Obviously, the return to Super Rugby. How have you found playing? It's very, very different to... Uh, obviously, I had like a little bit different journey. I sort of obviously went to the UK early, whereas a lot of people sort of go at the end of their careers. So I got to the benefit of seeing just the way it's run. And obviously, we had sort of George Skivington as our forwards coach. So he was probably um, most beneficial for me and sort of Nick Kennedy as well. Um, they were just like line out more scrum noises. So I sort of developed learning from them. And then you sort of come back to Australia where the priority is attack. Yeah. <laughs> so um, there were like a lot of things uh, at the club sort of we just needed to, I guess, just work on and, and see if we can incorporate some of that style into into here set piece wise uh, but it's just like they just think about the game completely differently obviously over there there's four months of the year where you've literally just got to um, rely on set piece and maul whereas here you can pretty much just like attack every single round and and, and set piece is sort of an afterthought and then I guess athletically wise I reckon you actually get some probably some smarter IQ players in the uk but that aren't naturally gifted whereas here you get the naturally gifted yeah. athletic players that are just freaks of nature on the field um and that's probably why you see like a lot of the kiwi or aussie players that go over to the uk they normally make their way into the starting side just because in training you're like whole holy shit, they've got X Factor. <laughs> it's not the normal sort of english player that are you know they've grinded their way through and they're big they love the gym here it's like we know how to play footy we know how to like play what's in front of us and and teams over there like absolutely love that stuff as well case in point wow (laughs) i just remember you rocking up to irish and they're being like jimmy just plays what's in front obviously then when we lost 20 in a row they sort of reassessed everyone in the squad for um, <laughs> playing too much in front <laughs> well that's why like obviously you've had Mike Coleman on previously he was like <laughs> I think they probably wanted a little X Factor but they realised that he was just a, an absolute grinder <laughs> um, but obviously yeah he they, they loved him there as well but yeah that, in short that's what I'm sort of finding that speaking about that the age difference between the two comps is pretty significant eh? like the super rugby at the moment seems like a really young competition and yeah like you probably were one of the youngest over in the UK premiership you come back here you're probably one of the oldest it's offensive man like I was obviously one of the youngest in the in the pack at Irish and yeah. then I come back here and you're getting called old bull or <laughs> uncle or something, you know, like, like I'm still young. I'm 29, but then when you're like my loose head prop, Angus Bell is 21 years old. Like, yeah, um, yeah, it's very different. <laughs> so yeah, the age gap is massive. But also, in the year that I sort of left uh, to go overseas was the year that probably Super Rugby in age everyone sort of left as well. Yeah. So the average age probably went from like, you know, high 20s, 30 to back then and rebuilt. And that's probably the whole story of Australian rugby the last couple of years is that we're building towards the World Cup or and that the players that are coming through together as 21, 22 year olds will have sort of three or four years playing with each other, which yeah. is quite good. And 
I guess you can sort of see it in the Tars this year from how we were last year. You know, they're so young and they got so much to learn, but all they need is sort of the right person at the helm and a couple of years together just to understand each other. And I, I think that's probably why we've definitely been better this year mm-hmm. than last year. You just sort of get those combinations, you know, and they, they don't brush people here as easily as the UK. They're not sort of like a mercenary type club. They're very much like we stick it together and see how they go for a couple of years mate and you've been a huge impact on that waratah's side as well and it's been awesome seeing you out there being able to play consistent footy obviously big part of your career has been um, i guess dampened by injury plenty of injuries the way you play how have you found it being able to string back-to-back games together yeah i'm loving it like obviously pretty much played a full season um last year as well and then like obviously my calf pretty much exploded <laughs> and I got up and obviously the first thing I thought of is like, this is just, this is not going to be a good one. Obviously I've had like enough sort of like little tweaks to realize and I just ended up being out for like eight months. It was obviously like a little bit rattling because mm. I pretty much missed all the preseason and then came straight back in. You got a new coach and I think the worst thing is like when you're injured with a new coach because you can't, you, no matter what you've done in your career, you've still got to start from scratch with a new coach. And obviously he was over in the US as well. So I just wanted to sort of show him what I could do. So anyway, we got into trials and um, got through and then just, I guess, sort of just been uh, well, touch wood going well this year so far with my body. Body feels pretty good. And yeah, I'm loving it. Like obviously the more games, the merrier. It's very different to the UK where you, you're backing up. As you know, you probably got like 25, 30 games in that one year mm-hmm. um, with no rest. Whereas here you've sort of been asked to play like 15-ish games. Um, even though it is like, you know, your body's pretty sore after it because it's a lot quicker. Um, yeah, it's good, mate, it's going well. And you've... You're in the frame for Australia. I think you've been into a few camps. Um, how, have you, how have you found that? Yeah, that's unreal. Um, obviously, I was sort of on the radar last year and then my calf exploded. So I don't blame them for just, you know, putting me in the back seat. Um, I just had to obviously get my body right. That was probably the main thing. And then uh, got included sort of in this three-day camp recently, which was sort of more of a sort of admin and... Uh, sort of understanding team culture type thing. They didn't sort of train us hard or anything, which is um, good because obviously we're mid-season. It was just sort of like just get together, um, understand where we're going because I think, you know, we finished Super Rugby and then they'll re-pick a squad for the England series and there's only a short amount of period between that time. So it's not like a massive training camp. So the more they can sort of meet and um, each week sort of send you through your work-ons or, you know, things that, you're doing well is good. So I guess the best thing that they do is they just keep you in the loop. They're ongoing. So you super perform. They don't just sort of put you in a camp and then leave you be. They just continuously talk to you. Uh, and you can, they're pretty open as well. You can ask like any questions you want um, about, I guess, what's going to put you in the best sort of frame to be there. Speaking about Australia, um, obviously Dave Rennie's come in. Um, how have you found working with him? What's he been like? Yeah, he's pretty intense to be fair um, and, and pretty direct. He's, he tells you exactly what he thinks. Um, 
which is the best in, in my opinion. Obviously, it's a little bit different with younger players. You might have to sort of like be a bit nicer. So, you know what the crack is. It's like around sort of even team selection stuff. I'll use that as an example. Mm. You can't pretty much go tell a 20-year-old their shit. Whereas in t- if you're coming on 30, you can go and be like, mate, you had a shit game. So I'm just going to... And you, you like appreciate the honesty. Yeah, yeah. I think he's like that regardless. So he just tells you how it is. Here's where, here's where you stand. And I've I've just loved like I guess the OCD in me, just how organized everything is. Um, everything sort of has a everything's planned really well towards something. So obviously they're planning towards this England series. Everything in that three day camp was just perfect leading into that. This is what this is why we're doing what we're doing. We're not just putting up clips of England. This is why. This is why we're going to um, go well against them. This is the threats that they face and how do we deal with it. So everything's very, very detail-driven. Um, so I was like pretty impressed. And it's refreshing as well because he's had a lot of footy overseas in the UK. So he values a lot of that stuff as well, which is which is great. So does he have much of an influence on any of the Super Rugby teams? Because obviously the, there's been big growth in the Australian Super Rugby teams uh, this season. Has he had much of an influence on that? Or is that um, sort of what you just mentioned at the start about the teams being together more? Yeah, so they, um, in the UK, when boys made England, obviously at Irish, there wasn't that many people, but I still know, obviously, what it was like at Saracens. Yeah. You never saw any of the coaches, like, hanging around the club or coming in for meetings, but with the Wallabies, Mm. a lot of the coaches are pretty, um, you know, they've got direct contact with the clubs because there's so many small clubs they can afford to just travel around Australia and do that. So um, occasionally they're in. I think sort of Petrus Duplessis, he's probably been um, in the most, but you definitely see them every every couple of weeks. They're coming in. Not only are they sort of checking up on the players, they're checking up on, um, they're just going and having meetings with the coaches. And um, especially for our coach, um, he sort of picks Dave Rennie's brain a lot, which he's said outwardly in media. Mm. Um but example is sort of Dave was hanging around training. I think it was a week before, like last week or the week before, and um, you know, was just popping up to a couple of players and asking them, you know, what they're working on. You know, are things called sort of winners block? So it's the end of training, it's things to work on. So mate, you that's why you just had to the change room. You barely had anything you needed to work on. Um, whereas I'd be out there for three hours. <laughs> Just doing everything. <laughs> Mate, mine was my hip. I had to get off the field. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Well, I remember you going out for like extra kicking sessions and then coming in and going, my hip's fucked. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, so I guess using that as an example, he just constantly keeping on top of things. Here's what you need to do. And what are you actually doing? Do you actually understand what your weakness is? So he's making that sort of direct contact with you as well. It's not just a, you know, an easy text message. He's actually making the effort to come to the club yeah. to check in that you actually are doing the things that you're doing. Because I guess that's the that's the biggest fear for those types of coaches is that you you all meet up at this in this camp. You tell them what they want to hear, and then you don't go do it. Um, so they're just constantly keeping you on your toes. I'm here. Like, yeah. where are you doing it? Mate, exciting times for Australia rugby. But you did mention your OCD um, briefly in that last bit. But 
something I do want to touch on because you are incredibly OCD, incredibly structured in your week and in your days. Um, when did you when did you start having that? <laughs> I reckon. Um, I guess like I never went to like a big school in Sydney in terms of rugby. Um, so I had a couple like shitty injuries um coming through school didn't sort of make any of the rep teams so um yeah came from like predominantly it was like a skiing school really <laughs> which obviously um I, I came out of school like 121 kilos so i was massive um i was playing loose head prop and throwing i was still pretty ocd like before games and that i'm like always clean my room this is when i was living back at home um so i think this started growing but then went to uni and sort of learn about nutrition. And then from then on, the process of that where, you know, you're, you're prepping meals and uh, and getting yourself right for training. I think something just clicked that I was like, I actually love this, the structure of it. Ended up like losing a heap of weight and then working my way into Manly. And then from then on, I think just got worse and worse where, you know, <laughs> Game day, the house had to be cleaned, so just gotta let's go bigger and bigger. And I remember watching Ben Franks actually talk about it, and he's like, he did like a documentary. He is the same thing. He just needs to have like the house clean. But I think mine sort of went onwards there into like my entire life, not just pre-game. Um, I love. I think I've always said to my my wife, um, if I wasn't playing rugby, you know, I'd probably be a military man just for how like structured I like everything. Yeah. I think I'm just a man of, man of routine, man of structure, and I, I think it works really well, especially as a professional footy player, you need to be organized. I'm not the type of bloke that can just sort of get away with airy-fairy is what it is. I need to have everything sort of like planned out, organized. So I think that's just what works for me. So how does your week work? Do you sit down at the start of the week and plan your whole week, or what's it look like? It's a little bit different like with short turnarounds, but... um. In terms of food stuff, like a lot of clubs like provide meals, but uh, I just have always done it sort of my way. Just sort of like do a big shot sort of Sunday and Wednesday, like the days so that I sort of like plan out the half weeks. Yeah. So on Sunday, like at some stage, I'll plan out the next couple of days, see what I need to do at the moment. Like I was coming off, um, <laughs> had a bit of a injury... <laughs> <laughs> had like an infected abscess which threw me off for about three or four weeks <laughs> so i've just been building back up from then really like it i lost like a bit of weight after it was horrendous so in like a good phase right now where you know try and plan out especially my training monday tuesday as like massive days and then um taper towards the game at the end of the week um so it definitely like chills out towards the game because i want to feel fresh but uh, making sure when i'm knackered on monday tuesday that i get especially my gym stuff done because i don't need to do sort of extra fitness stuff because the training for at the waratahs and in super rugby in general is a lot more like running based it's funny because in the uk they would prioritize the weights before the running sessions they'd always say no we want you to maximize your weights mm -hmm. and then running sort of like an afterthought training is an afterthought as you probably know whereas here it's like no we don't want you to jeopardize getting a tweak or something in the running session by doing heavy weights so they swapped yeah. it around so your, your sessions were more important luckily this year we've gotten 
bloke called Nick Lumley, who's uh, come from Edinburgh, who is the train of thought, no, we're maximizing weights. And again, could be the contributing factor to why we're like doing better this year as well. But for me, that's beautiful because five years I spent prioritizing that stuff and then having the field session as you're holding on and you know you're just holding on and getting through it whereas you know it sort of changed which i i didn't necessarily like because you, you're mm. dropping weight you're getting weak um <laughs> and it's hard to get sessions in because you're coming off doing six k's or whatever in a session you're absolutely um rooted <laughs> so he's been like a massive injection for us this year which is uh which is really good for us I think and like especially some of the young kids they don't know how much effort other teams put into the gym to get to where they need to be like I just mm. I can see both sides I know a 21 year old in the UK some of them don't even train sort of half the week so that they can keep weight on they smash the gym um put on all this size and then when they're sort of like 23 24 that's when they start kicking on because they're physically able to you know play that high level game physically um whereas mm. here it's pretty savage if they'll flog you and flog you and flog you i'll just speaking generally in terms of australia flog you on the field and then come up to you and go mate you've you light like <laughs> we can't play you <laughs> or, <laughs> or and then you know, it, they'll struggle to put weight on for a year or two and then they'll go, mate, see you later and they'll start their life after rugby. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's pretty savage, pretty savage. Mate, it's interesting hearing the um, comparison between the two um, hemispheres. Yeah, yeah. It's like there are obviously like massive differences, um, but I think it is like aligning. The more interesting thing as well was how keen the UK clubs were of Australia when I was there they were always asking and then they actively try and get Aussie New Zealand coaches over um, as you know like with Irish they they had Tom Coventry now they've got Les Kiss um, the Saracen sort of had Dan Vickers which was a he's a kicking coach from Australia so they're just always and they always have these visits as well from UK to Australia or vice versa they just constantly checking each other out our forwards coach now Paulie um, I actually met him in the I, I uh, met him in the change room at Irish because he came over to um, watch and observe, and he went to Sarries as well. And he sort of uses some of the stuff, especially around meetings or presentations, at the Tars now. But it's funny that this year he took over, and I sent him a message. I was like, "Mate, who would have thought when I was meeting you in the change room at Irish that you'd now be obviously my forwards coach?" It was yeah. a fun, it was a funny moment, yeah. Mate, that is the crazy thing about rugby. Eh? There's it's such a small community. You'll you'll meet someone in some place, and then a couple of years later, you'll find them other side of the world. You'll be uh, being coached by them again, pretty much like your example. Yeah, I, I guess um, probably one of the best things I um, learned, I reckon, was from some of the older players. That you know, obviously yourself, Brendan McKibben, when I was coming through young, was just try not to burn any bridges, just keep everything alive. And uh, I think that's like work for me in Australia because, uh, you know, if they, all they do is they reference check. So sometimes if they want to sign a player, they just send a message to a mate and go, how's Dave go or how's Jimmy go? Yeah. And they'll go, oh, what a lad in your case. <laughs> um, 
and it all if you've burnt one bridge it'll it'll be that bridge that comes back and and they'll go oh mate we actually got some <laughs> negative about you um yeah. so i always just try and keep everything alive and and stay in touch with everyone not so much on the way of like it'll benefit me in the future but more yeah. just uh, you meet a lot of lads <laughs> along the way that you want to keep in touch with and um and rugby is that like community where everyone sort of sticks together yeah 100% well i got all my contracts from players or coaches that I already knew, like Clarkie got me over to London Irish, Ilva got me to Japan. All these people I just met previously, and um, for some reason they they like me and got me over to that gig. So I know a lot of people put a lot of emphasis on agents and stuff, but for me it was always the contacts. Hundred percent. My funny story was um, I was actually sitting on the bench for Saracens. We were playing London Irish. And I was, I think I was 24th man or something. And um, I got approached by a guy called Grant Dory. And um, he's involved with like Tonga rugby. And he was there, um, one of their coaches for Irish. And he comes up to me and goes, Dave. And I, I was like, hey, hey, mate, how are you? And he goes, how are you, Grant Dory? Um, mate, I actually, um, I actually used to watch you um, when you were playing for Manly when i was with the blues like how are you i was like oh we cracked on a conversation all that and then he goes mate what are you doing next year just out of the blue and i go oh you know just working through some stuff here it's Aries. what are you thinking and he goes oh like give me a number and um we'll have a yarn so i gave him my number i'm fully kitted in Sari's gear anyway no one's around us or anything so he's come up to me and then anyway walks off he's like yeah i'll, I'll chat to you and then um <laughs> i met up with him like sort of two weeks later and he told me that after that interaction, Irish got a call from Sarries pretty much saying, say the fuck away from our players. Oh, true. <laughs> um, yeah, so, and that, but from that little minute conversation, I then met with Irish, and then um, that was when I met sort of Coventry <laughs> and um, Grant Dorian got the contract. So I'm lucky he sort of like had the nuts to come up and have a conversation. But little things like that, he was watching me back in Australia play yeah. for a club team. And then just a little one-minute interaction just got it started. And then even coming back to Australia because um, I, I was sort of, when I was at Irish, ne- kind of negotiating coming back to Australia, I was about to sign a, like a contract in the UK. And then obviously um, Rugby Australia like got in contact. And I said, mate, like I really appreciate what's going on here, but... I'm not going to jeopardize like a contract because, you know, if, if you're going to be slow and was pretty honest with that. Anyway, because they didn't have enough time, the Australian teams to sort of do their du- due diligence and research sort of how I played. They were, I was getting messages from all my mates with like little snippets of people from Rugby Australia and even the club teams asking how I am. Yeah. <laughs> and obviously they're, they're messaging sort of my best mates. So my best mates are going, mate, <laughs> incredible, <laughs> like world beater. <laughs> Little old Dave's just sitting there getting these messages being like, mate, thank you so much. But um, it's a, I was just like, it's so good that I'm mates with these people at the moment because it's, and then from that, that happened quite quickly. But obviously they, they did a little bit more research than just sending a text, but... <laughs> Yeah, I agree with you. In every, pretty much in every contract, um, that's come into play massively. Mm, it is. It's crazy, eh? But you did mention about your um, earlier days in Australia, so we will go back to how it all started for you. I thought I knew a little bit about your journey, but it turns out I didn't know too much um, up until 
Saracens. So give us a rundown up until there. Yeah, like I, obviously I didn't go to a rugby school, um, sort of made my way playing sort of a second division at school and then had an injury. Um, ended up, I think I made New South Wales shadow squad as a loose head prop, which is just one of the states in Australia. Mm. I think I was the second person ever from the school to make anything above anything in New South Wales. Um, so they found my little name. I didn't even know. I just got sent. They found my name in a newspaper that I was like the reserve for the reserve for the reserve. <laughs> so they were like loving it. They were like, this is incredible. You know? <laughs> anyway, nothing came of that. I was like 121 kilos, um, as I said, and uh, went into Colts, which is under 20s for, for Manly. Played through there, ended up captaining like first Colts, whatever, which is like your 20 side for Manly. Still heavily overweight. I just obviously, um, you know, was bigger than a lot of kids, so it made it easier for me. Still playing prop? Still playing um, loose head prop, but throwing. But the throwing was just horrendous. Yeah. Um, it's like hard to look back on that. Anyway, when you transition from Colts to grade, um, this is over 20s, you start playing against men. So I think something just clicked then. I was always obsessed with gym, but my diet was horrendous. You know, I'd spend three hours in the gym and then go home and have like the equivalent of a family-sized Penang chicken curry meal. So obviously, and then I was wondering why I wasn't losing weight, but there you go. <laughs> Went to uni and then um, did it, did some uh, degrees and, uh, and then learned about nutrition. And from then, just something clicked. Ended up losing like, 20 kilos in like four months. I was just obsessed. I had sort of like this big obsession with sort of fitness and uh, and that kind of stuff. Got in really good nick. Got help from uh, a couple of people as well that were pr- pretty knowledgeable. And then went into grade. Ended up going into grade like 96 kilos. So at that point they were like, mate, you're pretty small now to play loose head. So we're going to move you into hooker. Mm. Luckily, I had a bloke on my right called Tim Fairbrother. I'm not sure if you remember him, but... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he was at the Canes and then went over to play Quinns. And he was incredible for me because, you know, he taught me a lot as hooker. Like, And this was back in the days of Crouch, Bind, Engage or whatever it was. Um, yeah. So my neck's still in bits from that. But he was <laughs> just incredible because he was just an older guy and I was so young and so raw. Uh, so he helped me along and then... Each year, I just played Manly, did well my first year. Uh, second year, just built on some some weight, like just learned how to train properly and just was just building. And I had just this long-term sort of three-year goal going back to the structured thing. I was like, I want to try to get to sort of this 103 kilos, which, you know, looking back, is still pretty light now for Super Rugby. Anyway, played great and then um, had a really good year, one year, and... Um, Got a call from Michael Checker, who was then head coach of the Tars. He was like, mate, come on in for this thing called um, a, a transitional contract, which is essentially they're transitioning you from club to super rugby. And they, you know, they, it's, you know, they give you petrol money, but they flog you. So I was doing that. <laughs> I was working um, two jobs. How old were you? I was 20. I think I was 20 at this stage. Yeah, 2021. 20, um, right. So I was going to uni doing full-time training the TARS and working two jobs, but that's just the standard thing you do anyway when you're young. Like, 
it was good. It filled my time. I liked it. Um, did transitional year with them. Learned, I probably learned the most of the ex-players, the, the ex-players now, but the current players in the system. You know, I went in. The front row was Ben Robinson, Tatafu, Pilota now, and Sakopi Kepu. Sakopi were just played on the weekend, which was quite funny. So... I would just, I was a sponge. I picked everything. I picked their brains so much about everything. I was just like a proper nose about rugby and just listening. They also had Mario Ledesma as a scrum coach who we didn't really click personally because I was just a shy sort of kid. I kept my head down. Whereas nowadays, yeah. you get young kids coming into Super Rugby, they're very loud. It was very different back then. <laughs> you were head down if you spoke you'd get put in the line or if they didn't put you in a line verbally, they'd wait till you're on the training field and then absolutely fuck you up. Um, <laughs> so I had those lads, like had Cliffy Palu telling me about his footwork and I was like, fucking hell, this is incredible. You look at the TARS team back then, it was essentially the Wallabies forward pack. So really good for me. Anyway, was like fourth string hooker because my set piece was just, you know, I was just working on it. It was my first year in Super Rugby. It was pretty shit house. My round the field game was pretty good though. I reckon that was my sort of point of difference. But if I, I understand why I never played, um, completely understand. Anyway, one game, two of the hookers, one got concussed, one got a red card. And then next week they were flying to South Africa. So I'm sitting there fourth string. Obviously the third string is a shoe in Fourth string, they haven't called me. I think we leave on Monday or something, I haven't got a call till like 9 p.m. Sunday. So they must have really gone through their <laughs> options before me. <laughs> Seeing if any of the loose head props could maybe throw a dart. Anyway, they ended up calling me. So I was on the next flight over to um, South Africa on a two-week trip. Unluckily, didn't get like the best spots. Got Johannesburg against the Lions. Um, I didn't get on. We lost by, I think it was like, yeah, we had a pretty big loss. Set piece got annihilated that game didn't get on so i was like okay <laughs> anyway we go to bloemfontein the next um week we're up by 50 10 minutes left so i'm like like surely <laughs> like this is the one so anyway ben robinson's on the bench and he's he goes dave like get up like start warming up show him you're keen so I'm a, I am fucking busting. I'm doing Malcolms on the sideline, essentially like wind sprints, just like showing them like I'm keen, ready to go. We're up by 50. There's like four minutes left. I'm having a workout. I'm absolutely fucked by the time I get on. Luckily, they go, Dave, get on. I had like a three-minute stint, went one from one in the lineouts. I'd spent the whole 14-hour plane ride learning every single lineout. Um, and then get one easy little default liner, which is great. Hit that, and then, I don't know, didn't, obviously, I can't really remember much else, but it was just an awesome achievement because I'd sort of dedicated five years prior to that moment. You know, I didn't drink. I was I was just very, very committed. Um, you know, I never went out. I was always doing extra stuff. I just worked my ass off to try and get to that point as a lot of my close friends know, like the sort of the sacrifices I made. Um, anyway, come back. I'm uh, lying on my go- then girlfriend's couch, jet lagged as shit, because obviously I haven't really like traveled to South Africa before. Yeah. Get a message through from my agent saying, mate, um, Saracen's a keen on a four-month deal for you as World Cup cover. 
because they were losing Scott Brits and Jamie George. So they thought they'd replace them with Dave Parecki. <laughs> Mate, it must have been a good three minutes. <laughs> oh, it was incredible. Maybe they just... No, because um, I think their benefit... Going over there, they, I spoke with Paul Gustard, who actually got me over there, and he said pretty much it was between you and two other hookers. The reason you got it was you got an English passport. So oh. I didn't. I never really knew how handy that would be. So I go, yep, Keen. Obviously, Tars. You know, they they didn't want to borrow me or anything, which it was pretty bad how it ended. That to be honest, like uh, I didn't get much comms when I left about sort of my work on something I still sort of remember to this day. So I went over to the UK, you know, with some fire in the belly to sort of like have this longer term goal of like coming back and and sort of proving them wrong that they sort of let me go. Went to Saracens and it was completely different, mate. Like, Shani, my wife now, was like, I'll just come and travel. I won't interfere because she obviously understood that the next four months was going to be, like, massive in terms of my career. I'll just come live with you. I'll use your um, player's house as a base and I'll just go travel. So I was like, awesome, because not only did I have her over there with me, but also she understood. And this was, like, her first year. She'd never been understood like what the rugby career was about where you know it's it's essentially shit for a while it's it's pretty bad for your partners you know um the sacrifices you make as you obviously know so in that four months they've obviously come over and gone mate like we know what you can do around the field the opportunity is here for you to stay here long term but what we need you to do is you need you to work on your set piece by that stage Towards the end of the Waratahs, I actually started to click about scrummaging. I just, something clicked. I just understood it, understood like what I needed to do. It was the throwing that was horrendous. I was self-taught as a lot of young hookers are. You just pick up a ball and you go, that feels good. I'm going to throw it. There wasn't any specialty coaches or anyone that like technically broke down my throws. So pretty much landed Sarries. They were incredible. Their sort of motto was, We'll worry about everything off the field so you can worry about everything on the field. That was down to everything, you know? They had a podiatrist come in on days off to fix your toenails up. They put your kids in a creche. Um, You'd come off the field of a fitness session. You'd have like a berry coconut juice to rehydrate. Like it was just incredible, mate. Like, And something I wasn't used to. So when your stuff's laid out, ready to go every day and you just chuck it back in the laundry. I was like, mate, do I need to go back and clean this? And they're like, no, mate, we, we do that for you. But it's so you can perform. And they go out and the training sessions would be so intense. The level of coaching was amazing. Like not one coach was out of place there. They all knew exactly what the go was. Their presentation of how they were doing stuff was awesome. So I was just, you know, I had all the old guys come up to me and be like, mate, I'll take you out for coffee. I'll take you out for a meal like Skulk Brits and Ernie Jaber, um, Neil de Kock, these 50 cap spring box, whatever coming in. They want to have a coffee with me. I got no life experience. I don't know how to even speak to these guys. Um, <laughs> I'm the yeah, yeah. Like I ended up being really good mates with um, Juan Figolo, who's an Argentinian tight end. He was getting me around every fortnight to have a barbecue at his it was just completely yeah. what i wasn't used to everyone was a lad <laughs> anyway so back into the rugby stuff they they put 
there was this bloke called Simon Harding. He worked for the RFU, so he's essentially a throwing coach. So he goes around to every English club and works with the players that are English qualified. It's their way of like their bigger picture of uh, developing sort of hookers to be able to throw. I'm English qualified, so he goes, we meet. He helps me out. He goes, I'm sorry, mate. Like, you are shit at throwing. <laughs> um, so I was like, Fair, this is what I want to hear. It hurts, but uh, this is what I want to hear. This Because this is more than I ever got back home. You know, it was just keep repping, whatever. Yeah. What's actually wrong with my throw? And he goes, this is what's wrong. Your hands, I, I don't understand. Like, what are you doing with your hands? <laughs> And I, go, I don't know. And anyway, he gets the ball and he goes, this is how, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. He goes, this is how you're going to throw. Gets the ball. He literally places my hand on, places my hand on. And he goes, we're just going to do this for the next two months. And so he broke down every step. So he literally got these boxing gloves and put them in front of my eyes. And I would like do that into the boxing gloves. That's right. To, to do follow yeah. through. He then, the next step was, your hands are good, that's automatic. I'm going to come in every week and I'm going to stick a broomstick here. And if you hit the broomstick, the session's done. So if I drop my chest and hit the broomstick, I then miss an opportunity to work with him. So I'm like, <laughs> it obviously forces you to keep the chest high. Yeah. You broke down every little thing so I get in and the best thing was that Saracens come up to me and they go, the head coach, Mark McCauley goes, mate, I know it's not going to be pretty, but what we want to see is that you've got the motivation and the persistence to keep doing it and to keep practicing. You know, if you did one session with your throwing coach and then you didn't practice all week, like we're not, we're not going to keep you here. Like this is just going to be the way it is. So I go, mate, like, you don't need to tell me, like, I was the most, obviously, like, keen to, to learn because I didn't want to, I wanted to yeah. learn how to hit a mark instead of fucking, you know, <laughs> not worry about where he's yeah. going. Anyway, so we play this um, trial game. First trial game comes up and around, the, I probably had one of the best games, like, I've ever had, but I look back to the throwing and it was like fucking end over end. Like I was hitting people in the stomach. <laughs> it was not good because I was obviously learning how to do it. But yeah. the fact that around the field I played so well, um, <laughs> ended up like I broke my hand. So I cracked on playing with a broken hand and I had a head knock. So I'm like sitting there after the game going to the hospital and they're like, mate, I'm getting calls from like the bloke who brought me over being like, mate, you played so well we're so impressed like we're, we're gonna look to keep you on <laughs> for the rest of the year so i was like great i bought myself some more time anyway that all healed i came back and um just started to like i think there was one game we played in france or I, I threw like it was just one of those games everything went right throwing wise so they could obviously see that the time i was putting in was paying off I was still very inconsistent, but I just had one of those games that just worked perfectly, which happened for you every single game. <laughs> anyway, um, got onto it. And then uh, as the year went on, like just had like a couple of niggly injuries, you know, like popped a rib or, you know, yeah. tweaked a hammy or something. So 
didn't work out. But if anything, it gave me sort of the time just to like work a lot with Simon, the throwing coach, just to continue banging it out. Mm-hmm. Anyway, ended up staying for the whole year, which was awesome. Like it was one of the best times of my life. And uh, had some incredible hookers in front of me, like Scott Gritson, obviously Jamie, who helped me. They had no reservations in helping me progress. I picked their brain. You know, I had like Mako Vunapola. I would just ask them a lot of questions and just be a proper noise, do a lot of review stuff. And then got to the end of it. And that's when I had the conversation with Grant on the bench because towards the end, I ended up playing sort of like four or five games for them in the Prem and was 24th man for like a fair bit of them. And then had the conversation with Grant. And then so I went up to Saris and I was like, mate, I'm just going to be, because you guys have been so good to me, I'm just going to be honest. Like if you guys want to have a crap, like I'm keen. But what, where, where, where are you taking me here? Like, because obviously you've got these two or three hookers that are incredible internationals. I'm nowhere near that. So if I stay, am I even going to play? Because I knew by that stage I was sort of 22. I needed to just play. And if I was going to throw shit, I'd throw in shit and game and, and learn from that. And he said, I think you, you, you're smart enough to realize like where you sit so if Irish offering you a two-year deal with sort of the the goal of making you for the first choice, then that's then that's I think that's smart. And the fact that he sort of said that looking for me, you know, selfishly they could have gone, oh no, we can definitely keep like a third, fourth stringer here as numbers. He was like, no, we want you to develop. This is the whole thing. Like they sort of see it as a win for them that they're able to bring someone over and then kick on to another club, which mm. is just like tells you a lot about the club. Anyway, so signed with Irish and then had David Pace as their first choice there, which was, again, I've gone from having these two quality hookers to another quality hooker who probably didn't teach me so much technically about scrummaging or line but probably just the toughness side of it. <laughs> but... After games, you'd see him pretty much wheelchair into the physio room with Brian O'Leary, the physio there, and uh, and then go out on the weekend and be a machine. You know, he was his body was hanging on by a thread. Yeah. It was just incredible to watch, and uh, and um, we had like a mutual respect for each other because I, I just kept my head down, continued to work. I wasn't that guy that was you know coming out and being a hero in training, but in games, I'd obviously try and always put my body on the line and. In those probably two years, continued to work and then um, sort of played sort of those pretty much two years off the bench and uh, obviously missed out on Coventry and um, and Dory because as I signed with them, we got relegated and they got sacked. <laughs> so we got new coaches in in the bottom league is obviously when you came as well, yeah. <laughs> the championship, what a grind. <laughs> and uh, Ben Franks in that was in there, so... You know, I got some experienced players and if, looking back on it, it was actually really good for me because it was another year to develop in a, in a you know, less competitive league, even though it's still very good. Mm-hmm. There were still some games that you're like, okay, like this is this this is 60 nil. So, you know, it took a bit of the pressure off. And then the, the following year, the second year was when I sort of like started to kick on and, and play well and my throwing was coming on. And then um, Iris saw that. And under Nick Kennedy and um, Skibs and that, they sort of kept me there for another two years. And that two years was the two years that I really started to to kick on set piece wise and just sort of like play, just continued to play and develop. And Kendo was like, mate, we we expect big things from you. 
um, you're going to be transitioning now into sort of like our first choice hooker because um, Pacey's like going to retire or he's going to sort of like take a backward step. I was like, awesome. This is like everything's sort of trending towards this and then had a good, really good two years. And then um, you obviously you left by then. Um, relegation. So the story was obviously we got relegated. <laughs> <laughs> we relegated, promoted. And then won the first game against Quinns in front of 60,000 and a double head. So we're like, we are. <laughs> Here we go. This is our year. We've done it. We've done the hard yards. And then, I, I what, 16 straight we lost? Um, <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, and then that's when the coaches sort of got came back in. We got Brendan Venter in. And I remember there was like, mate, it was like round eight. There's 24 rounds. <laughs> And he's come into a meeting and he's gone, lads, we're relegated. There's nothing we can fucking do about it. <laughs> we're like eight games in, you know? We're like, we're not even last, I don't think. And he's just already foreseen that this team's going to be shit. <laughs> like, we're relegated. We're not, we're not going to be good. So at least we can have a fucking crack. We can take some scalps along the way. So I remember he had like these hats next to like the rounds on the wall yeah. that like we took the Quinn's. You know, and then obviously went a bit downhill from there. <laughs> that was we lost that. every single game. So we got relegated again. Mate, that was it. And then he, and then see you later. <laughs> so came in, essentially told us we're shit, we're going to get relegated. He was, it was fucking awesome working with him though, yeah. because of the time. I actually really enjoyed him. You probably didn't because you no, probably I, liked I, that. I enjoyed him as well. I found him awesome. I thought he was a real smart man and loved the way he thought about the game. He was really good. Yeah, and just good for us because we had like some younger coaches coming in, and um, he just fucking he just told you how it was if you if you played shit. He was like, "Mate, you're not playing because you're shit." And his presentations, oh, he he was someone who you you you're always nervous listening to him, mate. Yeah, yeah, I remember this. I remember he was clearly wrong about this one fold that led to a try. <laughs> Everyone knew it. Everyone knew, it, but. No one said a word. Like, no one says a word. Uh, I think... Okay, yep, yep you're right, you're right. <laughs> um, so anyway, he left and then we got relegated again. So went down to the champ. And then you'd left by then, hadn't you? Again, in the second relegation. Yeah, I left after that, yeah. Yeah, so like a lot of people left. We got like a lot of new people in. And um, as a squad, we got... Half, I think it was sort of like halfway through... That year, we got new coaches again. So this is now the third string of new coaches in three years. So, which was tough, you know. Um, a lot of the coaches stayed on. Like Skiv, Skiv stayed on as Fours coach, which is amazing for me because, like, I can't speak highly enough of Skivs um, and the squad. And then, uh, you know, we just built. We just built. We came together started to build like sort of combinations really well. We started to understand sort of the coaching, what they wanted. And then we got promoted, did well that year, which was awesome. And then that year was when we really like came together as so that there was like sort of five or six in the leaders group. And we said, look, we're just getting new coach after new coach. Like they come in, it takes a good four or five months for them to really understand the playing group or where we're going wrong or what's wrong with the culture. So we just said, fuck this, let's just 
do it ourselves. So we came together as a playing group and, and we just pretty much redesigned. I know obviously you can't, you say you can't really like create culture. It's just got to naturally happen. But I think we did. We put in things to be more professional. Um, we'd heard so much about actually like the Crusaders leadership group that they've got so much power that they can essentially go into the head coach and say, mate, like, this is what we think. And the head coach is so open that he can he can just take that on board. We didn't have that. We had sort of the coaches ran everything. The players were like an afterthought. So we tried to rebalance that narrative. Um, so we came in, we put in stuff like, we were like, the professionalism is shit here. So if you're, if you're late to a physio or you forget something, um, there's going to be a fine. And the fine is you throw a dart at the dartboard and every dart is uh, related to a, um, a punishment. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's funny, you see these young lads up there fucking shaking and they miss the board and there's a hundred quid fine. So it's like, <laughs> it not only got the boys around each other because it's so fucking funny, it also yeah. kept boys accountable because you'd see them running to the physio rooms and then other things would be like, we had no values as a club. Every club you go to, you see stuff in the gym. But we were like, what can we as players actually create that people are going to buy into? So we did so much work on this stuff. And then we just obliterated the gym with stuff. And the group was just awesome. We were meeting like once a week. We were saying what needs to be done. And um, we then headed into the premiership, just like a different side. And then that year, you know, we actually got some gritty wins. And I'm not putting it down to like the culture stuff, but there's got to be an element that like has helped the club from where it was. You get these new players in, you get a group of lads together that we actually did like, there was no dickheads in there. We all like loved each other and we uh, we worked hard um, and we were all on the same page. So we just said like, you know, if we fuck up and we're on the same page, we're happy with that. No worries. Like we'll just have a crack at the next game. We weren't going to beat those Exodus Aries teams because we weren't there yet, but we we ground them out. I remember like we played Saris and pissing down rain and we just stayed in the fight, stayed in the fight. We got so close. Just mentally, we were all switched on and stayed. And then we had like some amazing wins that year. Um, and then COVID hit. And uh, for me, like it was unfortunate because like I wanted to see where the season went. But obviously by that stage, I was off contract. So I, I was... Um, you know, I was either staying at Irish for a long-term deal or I was going to probably move to another club. And then out of nowhere, you know, I'm messaging my um, agent saying, mate, is there anything doing in Australia before I sign this? Because like, it, to be honest, I don't really mind. Like I, it's positives of both. I either come back and have a crack or I stay here and I um, finish, essentially finish my career here because, you know, by that stage... I would have been sort of 27 or 28. Anyway, so he said, no, there's nothing. Um, nothing doing there that, you know, they're pretty disorganized at the moment. Um, and the, how quickly the, the clubs in the UK were coming out, like it's just, it doesn't align, right? So I goes, fine. So I then start renegotiating, you know, between these two clubs in the UK and um, get put on a deadline of two weeks to, you know, give the, mm. the comms. And on the, I think it was the 12th day, my agent gets in contact and says, mate, like, hold, don't do anything. Um, 
like Rugby Australia have, have said they're keen because they're, they're trying to bring these players back home. And I go, fucking hell, you're, like, you're cutting it fine. <laughs> but we just need a provincial club to be keen. So they were obviously reaching out to the provincial clubs and um, got like two on board. But he wanted, Scott Johnson wanted to have a phone call with me before anything happened. This was now the 13th night. So I pretty much needed to make the decision the next day. And I was like adamant in my mind, just the way I operate. I'm like, I'm not having anyone come in here and fuck this up for me. Um, so if they, if they want to fuck around or whatever and do the whole contracting, you know, back and forth thing, I'm not about it. You either offer something or I'm going to sign here. That's just the way I want to do it. Anyway, so 3 a.m. have a conversation with Scott Johnson and um, obviously went well. Like we probably spent 15, 20 minutes talking about like the color of the jersey. So I was like, this is different. And um, <laughs> um, it just was a good dude. I just had like a natural conversation with him. I, I wasn't really asking about rugby stuff because obviously he'd done his due diligence in knowing what type of player I was. I just kind of wanted to know what he was about because he was sort of at the helm. And then... You know, the offer came through the next day and um, told my, my wife, because uh, I was trying to like keep it under wraps, being like, oh, there's a little bit of interest because I didn't want to get her hopes up. Went up at like 3.30 or 4 in the morning and said, oh, by the way, like I just had a call and it looks like we're probably going. She started, she burst into tears because yeah. it's been five years since over there and she was so keen to get home. But at the same time, we built this amazing life over there. We loved it and she loved it. But mm. it was the fact she could just, you know, have a little bit of a break because it'd been so long. And then, yeah, um, signed with the Tars, spoke to Rob Penny, and then um, came back in. And um, in quarantine, so obviously COVID hit and got back. In quarantine, they hooked me up with this, like, gym. It was incredible. Like, they gave me mats, cycling bike, all this stuff. Anyway, one of the exercises was, no, you gotta, you got to run on the spot. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, yep, no worries. Um and they're like, yeah, if you run on the spot, mate, you'll be ready to go. <laughs> like, you're going to be ready to play. <laughs> so I'm running on the spot. Anyway, because you're so immobile in there, I'm like doing laps around quarantine, like with my headphones on, listening to what a lad, in fact. <laughs> um, and so I run on the spot and I feel my calf tweak. <laughs> and I'm like, fucking hell. So I got a week left. I've called the medical and I like, made my calf something's doing and they're like what from i was like running on the spot <laughs> um anyway get out of get out of it and they're like it's gotten better which is good and they put me through like a little flush run and then they go mate like this round one tomorrow so don't worry about that we'll train you for a week and then get you look to get you involved round three so train and then um get named on the bench round three, first game. And then we go out for Monday training. Everyone's come up to me, congrats, man. Like, they don't know me or anything. Like, well done, this is awesome. And first drill, I backpedal and I just feel my calf tweak. And I'm like, fucking hell. Like, this is, this can't be happening. Anyway, so that rules me out. And then the next week, they, like, we run again on it, retweak. And then the following week after that, run again on it, retweak. Hell and then that, they go, mate, you, you're done for the, the seat. So it's just like, I'm just there like, is this a fucking nightmare? Like, 
I've obviously come back in my first season. I'm now just missing the season because I've got a, a weak calf that's just continuing to re-tear. Shambles. Anyway, that season goes on. We actually do quite well. And then um, obviously make my way back in. And then in the, in the following year, my calf's fine. Um, the Ended up like actually getting a, two games in this Rugby Australia select team where they played Argentina because obviously they'd sort of brought me back. They wanted to see what I was about. So it was good to actually just get on and be like, I'm fine. My calves are fine now. And then we cracked on with the Tars and then eventually sort of started. I played pretty hefty minutes. And then um, it was the second last game against the Highlanders away. And um, I, w- I was in a scrum and um, went to hook the ball and the scrum collapsed at the same time. And my calf, like I just felt like my calf explode. Oh, true. So I'm like feeling down my calf and I'm I, like nothing's switching on. So I'm like, oh fuck, what have I done here? So I'm obviously like pretty upset because I know like I've done something horrendous. So come off you know by that stage i'd already made like a sort of wallaby camp and uh the team was getting picked the next week for all the travel stuff so in my mind i was like i'm in for a shot at it but this is gonna fuck me up so i didn't know how severe it was and then you know did scans and and um they were like mate essentially we've never seen this um the physios that I was dealing with had never seen this thing. It's called aponeurosis, which is essentially you got your two calves, your, your gastrocnemius. I'd separated those t- calves from each other, yeah. so they were like, "We don't. You can't surgically operate on this because it's connective tissue. Um, so you're just gonna have to wait." And so we waited. I was like, "Mate, I was at the pool at like 8 p.m. Clavelli. Every Clavelli is just a speech around the corner for me. All the Sydney siders would know it. The, the millions that are lift, listening. I was down there like night, just trying to get this fluid out. My calf was like the size of my quad, essentially. It was just so much fluid from like just this trauma. It's a big calf. Yeah, yeah, and um, yeah. Anyway, got a couple like weeks, months down the track, and it just wasn't improving. I couldn't. I could barely walk. Um, made a, I was like off feet for two weeks pretty much not being able to walk which is just horrendous by this stage my missus was um, in the early stage of her pregnancy so again going back to how hard it is for partners I was on the couch while she was battling through her first trimester which was so difficult for me the, the blessing was that I missed all that stuff so I could be there for you know the start and that journey which was amazing um, anyway we went and got scans because I'm like this is just not working I need to do more here so I was in contact with like my Irish physios being like mate have you ever heard of this what can I do just anyone I could contact to like get their sort of head around it I was like sort of sending scans off like reports Um, and then they go oh have you tried um, aspirating it which is essentially they just stick a needle in and get all the fluid out so I was like yep whatever like let's try that so I went in sort of spoke to the physios like can we just try this Next day, booked me in, took it out. After that, probably got like 50% motion back. I could feel it in the pool, like went straight to the pool after, just magically got rid of all the blood. They picked, they took about eight mil of blood. I remember seeing this tube of just blood that was just stuck in this pocket. At this stage, it's like a couple months down the track, you know. I'm getting sort of the Wallabies guys coming in, checking up on me. 
Anyway, it actually starts to progress. But as you know, with calves, if you're off your calf for so long, your Achilles then starts to flare up. So whilst my calf was healing, even though it was weak, my Achilles then flared up. So I got the Wallabies um, physio coming in. This is right before the spring tour. And he's like, this is just your test for you. We're just going to see how it is. And I go, okay, that's fine. And I was telling my physios because I was trying to push ahead of schedule. I was like, mate, can you just please let me like just have a crack at this? If I do damage, I'll I'll cop that. I'll be the one to be responsible for that. But I want I need to have a crack to see if this is going to work. Anyway, get run um, by the physio, and I was in fucking like agony in my Achilles. He could obviously <laughs> see I was limping, but I was just like, I'm just going to do this. I'm just going to have a crack. Gets off. He's like, mate, like you know. Like, this is not right. Uh, you need to, like, just get this right now for next season. And obviously, it's pretty disappointing, but I knew what the goal was. It was well before. So, anyway, f- f- weirdest story was new coach comes in DC, Darren Coleman, and he gets us doing these, like, hard yakka sort of Saturday morning sessions where we just go off site. You know, you pick a beach, just old school, like, just love it. Like, it's good. Obviously, you miss out on, like, Saturday off, but mm. it was for the bigger picture of where we needed to be because we had a horrendous season for the Tars. So, he's just rebuilding culture. Anyway, so, like, I couldn't do a lot of it. Anyway, they were, I got close and they, and they um, go, oh, you guys need to do this session because this is what we built. This is what I love. Like, and it's like a surfboat kind of rowing stuff. So, you, like, run out from the beach to this boat. Meanwhile, my calf's still hanging on for dear life. Anyway, I just go, fuck it. Let's just, what's the worst that can happen, you know? <laughs> Looking back, a lot of bad things could happen. But um, So do the session, I'm running down the sand into the water. And it's that run that they didn't account for, that there is actually a bit of movement for my calf, you know, unstable ground. Anyway, so do the session is so good man like the bonding we had like it was so fun it was like 5 a.m in the morning so like the sun's coming up beautiful anyway the next day there's like three or four of us oh sorry the monday three or four of us that we were like mate this like my foot is blown up because like we've just been running on sand and i'm like fuck like i should have just said no i should have just because they gave us the option to and i was like no no i want to do it and um i should have just said no on monday couldn't train and then Tuesday didn't train, had Wednesday off, came in on Thursday, they're ready. And out of nowhere, like my Achilles pain just vanished. It was almost like, it was like this magic trick of running on sand that switched this Achilles (laughs) on. I don't know why, but from then, all the rehab, I just flew through the rehab. Um, I got no Achilles pain, like my strength was coming back. And then Missed pretty much all the preseason, but would do these hard yakka sessions. You know, you do boxing or whatever. Mm. And then a week before the season start, my I, my wife gave birth to my my baby, so I missed a missed like a trial, and then just came back, played one trial game for match fitness, and then um, he was like, "We think you're you've done enough for like sort of forty fifty minutes against Fiji draw, which." You saw highlights of them against the Rebels the week before and they're scoring 100-meter tries. I've been out for eight months. I've done like a 30-minute game against club teams. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, no. I'm very keen, very keen for this. Even though I actually, I was very keen. Yeah. I was just more like, how am I going to get fit? Luckily, I had the S&C go, mate, I'm going to get you fit in two weeks. I'm going to flog you. Um, 
And then from then on, just been really, I guess that last sort of really big injury was probably one of my worst in terms of like mentally. And I'm like quite mentally strong. It just sort of woke me up this year to be like, what are you like, what are you not doing that A, you used to do when you were fine or B, you could do more of now to put yourself in the position to not break down when it counts. You know, you're not playing anywhere near the amount of games or minutes that you played in England. So what 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 is it that you're not doing? And um, it, it made me reassess things about sort of my recovery or food or training and just, um, yeah, as the season's gone on, I've just been really like, quite anal with the way that I sort of like prepare and keep my body even through like the newborn phase with Luca just Mm -hmm. trying to do everything I can to make sure that you're peaking in the right times Um, whether or not that's helped or made a difference I don't know but touch wood so far like I've had a obviously a couple little niggles as you do through a season but um Mm -hmm. yeah we'll just we'll just see how it goes really I can only just continue to crack on so mate that is essentially my rugby story <laughs> one of the great rugby stories you did mention luca there how has he changed your life well it's different like um playing isn't it like come back from monday tuesday big days you're actually like pretty pumped to get home to see what he's like like he, i get his grizzly period mm. i take him off shanae's hand for his grizzly period in the afternoon and I'm like holding on for dear life. But I know obviously she spent the entire day with him. So I've got to like, just try and pucker up. Um, but it's just awesome. I can't wait. We were pretty diligent in the first, like sort of three months of his life around COVID. So we just kept him away from like a lot of people. But now I think he'll probably come out to the game this weekend against the Canes for the first time. So just being able to like take a photo with him, man, it's just like, it's awesome. And I'm not that type of guy that was like very clucky for a kid you know i was just like mm. whenever you're comfortable we'll um you know we'll do it and, and we'll just back ourselves as parents and um and we'll learn on the run and it's just pretty difficult especially the first stage like with going away you, you think coming back to brother you're not going to travel that much but you actually do you know you're like you're a night here in canberra then you're away for two nights in um auckland or whatever and it's difficult you know, she's juggling it on her own. It's 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 hard as a partner having having a young child, um, just the time away. So I just make sure like I can try and support her as much as I can when I'm home. But it's it's awesome, man. I'm I'm like I'm loving it. What a dad. But how structured are you? Are you um has he got a super structured routine as well? <laughs> this is like the um this is gonna be the topic of thing on this podcast, isn't it? Just how fucking OCD weird I am. Um, you haven't even scratched the surface either. Uh, oh, like you can't, you can't. Like I, I always ask Shanae, I'm like, what? Like, when's the sleep routine stuff start? She goes, you don't. Like newborns, they sleep when they want. Like not when they want, but like you know, as he's gotten older there's more and more like things that you start put in place for him. There's nothing right now. There's no, there's a routine at night. This is sort of his bath time that gets him down, which is awesome. But up until then, Shanice just a machine. Um, she, she's been amazing, especially like with the training load and it's coming down to like pretty important time. Waratah wise. Um, so she, she understands like the start of the week is, is horrendous. Like in terms of she's just, she needs to obviously just 
carry the team really and um and then i try and just yeah. do as much as i can to just like facilitate really but nah he um i guess as he gets older he'll have a bit more like st- structure but i'm not gonna force him if he wants to do it if he can you know i'm not gonna be a pushy parent <laughs> oh am i i don't know <laughs> but before luca you also had another child i guess you'd call it um your little sausage dog frankie yeah hey how's he going He's going well. He, he. Uh, we had a little late night at the vet the other night with his back, but um, maybe he, he had a naughty Insta following um, over in the UK. But since then, he we've uh, we brought him back from the UK, which was a shambles. Don't I don't ever recommend anyone in your millions of listeners listeners bring their dog back from the UK. It was pretty much a year thing. <laughs> But he's going strong. He is my first child. Um, I'm not embarrassed. Like a lot of people will see this big, semi-big rugby player walking around getting the morning coffee with a long-haired sausage dog and they go, I get a lot of comments about it and I go, yep, nice. <laughs> You're judging me on my dog. Well done. <laughs> um, but yeah, mate, it's going. We've got a nice little family going here. Yeah. And 11,000 followers. Is that legit? Or did you pay for those? I didn't pay. It used to be actually like I boast about this, even though I never, uh, never ran it. It was like it used to be 16 and I was actually contemplating just changing, like making it my profile um, because <laughs> I only had like, I don't know, like 60 followers or something, you know, like no one gave a shit about my photos. <laughs> um, changing it. But genuinely, like I reckon there was probably 20% of um the followers were actual people that like sausage dogs the other were like oh my wife is like posting photos of me in irish gear so they're just rugby noises you know just coming on and following this dog's account so they can get access to like a rugby player's life even though i'm like you know who cares um so yeah there was some strange there's some strange humans that like make up the majority i reckon of that insta following but Mate, you know, we haven't posted it for a while. It's just, I keep it up there just for for laughs. You know, it's a funny little conversation starter when I meet someone new and they go on my profile and see that it's like linked to my dog. It's just always funny that, you know. <laughs> oh, Frankie, absolute lad. But uh, what are the plans for you going forward? Obviously, um, you've signed two more years at the Waratahs. There's a big World Cup carrot um, next year for you. Is that the sort of goals? Yeah, I think... Um, as a player, for me, I'm not like, I'm not massively financially driven that you have to, you know, I'm like, I don't want to do this. I want to go to Japan or whatever, you know, and cash in. Mm. If I'm trying to do something like play footy or anything in my career, even my life after rugby stuff that I want to do, I need to be like aspiring for that top. And even if you don't hit it, the way that I sort of operate, I just need to. Otherwise, I just don't have the motivation to do the shit I do during the week, you know, like I don't, I wouldn't be bothered to sort of like meal prep or prepare or sacrifices with your partner or even with your, your like my newborn son or your body on a Sunday um, or the way the surgeries you put your body through. I just wouldn't think it's worth it. So for me, it's always been the goal ever since I left Australia to come back. Like I needed to go over there, develop, in the areas I, I needed to work on. And then it was to come back and at least have a crack. This is what my dream, like essentially, like this is what I've worked a decade of my career for. It is to have a crack. 
but in in saying that I just have the small steps, you know, like you're not going to, I'm realistic or coaches aren't going to pick you if you're just because you want it. Like you, you need to actually perform. And, and if you perform with the TARS, things will happen. Doors will open. You'll act, you'll at least have a conversation about where you sit. So in that small sort of goal, it's just continue this year performing for my team. And I love the TARS and where we're heading now. I love everyone in the organization it's been it's been an awesome year and, and a year that we will continue to to grow throughout and that is the main reason I am staying because I do see the development you know we've got a lot of exciting things happening we've got new facilities and all this stuff that will only help we've got people returning and then if if the wallabies happens at the end of the year you know my focus shifts to that how can I perform the best I can perform at that level in my mind I'll cross that bridge when I get to it and then you know, World Cup stuff, that'll only happen if you're performing Wallabies. That's not going to happen if you're third or fourth string hooker there. You know, you might get a look in to be a training member, but I don't want that. Like, that's not my goal. Um, I've seen that throughout my career where people are happy getting paid just to be a third or fourth stringer, but I, I can't be about that. I may as well just go and not wake up, not being able to move my neck, and but go get an office job, you know? I just don't see the point in it. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I guess that's bit of my sort of motivations the next couple of years. I guess I'm just building, continue to develop. And if it happens, then it happens. And, um, you know, I'll try and do the best I can at any level I'm playing. You mentioned money there and you are one of the, probably the least motivated player I've met by money. You're always, like you said, you're always, it's always about being the best. And where's the lack of interest on the money side of things come from? Oh, don't get me wrong. Obviously, you know, if they're offering you, a bag of Skittles and a can of Coke, like you're going to say no thanks. But um, I guess I'm, pro- I'm probably just like confident that if I can put my mind to something, I'll be okay. So even sort of like life after rugby stuff, you know, like if rugby doesn't pan out in the next couple of years the way that I sort of envisioned, then I'll have a crack at something else. And I'm confident that the work that I'll put into something, I'll reap the benefits and, um, you know, if that's financially, then so be it. If that's the actually driving towards something in life in terms of like a, you know, a journey through another business, um, then that's something that I always look towards. Like I just, I want to be involved in something that's actually got a purpose. I think like, or got a goal to work towards. I find that like the most intriguing thing I reckon or the most motivating thing, the actually working towards something as a team and so um which is why i'm so excited about the waratah stuff like again this for me is like my my long-term goal ever since i started rugby so why would i you know why would i say oh no i'm not getting paid enough when 20 years down the track you know i'm gonna look back and be like you you should have just fucking had a crack and and you could have done something like with your career you could have reached the pinnacle and what like 50 grand or 100 grand like stopped you from doing that um i think i'll be probably like quite embarrassed with myself if that's the case there's that case and then there's people that are getting offered two million a year to go play in japan and that's life-changing money you know you can but i'm not i'm not at that stage you know um i'm not that type of player that well yeah (laughs) i think you're probably more where you're sitting now even retired or closer to that than me but yeah so you know 
that uh, I guess that's my sort of train of thought with that. Yeah, I like it. I like it. It's a cool mindset. And you did mention a little bit about life after forty. Have you got anything in particular you're thinking you're going to go down? Yeah, um, I think we've sort of like discussed in the past. Like I was pretty proactive in the UK. They're they're massive on their life after rugby stuff. So I ended up just doing a um, diploma in sort of financial trading, and then. Um, um, undertaking currently, um, it's called like CFA, which is to be a, to become a, like a chartered financial analyst. So, um, <laughs> yeah, oh, like it's a lot. It sounds nice, but it's a lot sounds of very it's nice. a hell of a lot of work, especially juggling professional rugby. So I'm struggling with it at the moment, but just making sure like I'm working towards something, and then I think sort of the next like year or two. Now that COVID's chilled out, I'll start doing some sort of work experience stuff in that financial sector. So again. If any of the millions are in that, reach out to me, Keen. <laughs> I'm also like on the on the Rupert rep here, so um, I'm also pretty like keen on lads here that, that aren't exposed to it to just do something outside of footy and just just trying to get a few things going with that um, because I know I've seen it both hands. I've seen people come out and be um, incredible post rugby. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or the other way where they finished and they're like, you know, they're fucked. They've, they've got nothing mm. ready to go. And um, just like what it does for your life as well, like your, your balance in your life, I think is because obviously I was so narrow-minded with just rugby and then a lot of things mm. happened that, you know, I started doing a lot of things outside of footy that it actually helped my rugby because I wouldn't go home and dwell on things. I just, yeah, you know, it, it really helped me. So, um, yeah. I, I'm I'm actually excited for like life after rugby stuff, but at the moment I've got like a you know a big two three years ahead to to achieve something I've been working towards for a decade, and and we'll see where that goes. Mate, no wonder you're not worried about um, the money side of things with rugby. You're trading, making millions every every single day. No, no, no. You just do courses and then um and then too afraid to to dip your toe in. So it's good. <laughs> Oh, but what a story and what a lad. Um, as always, we have gone to our Instagram for mm. some questions. We have, have had a few come in for you, as always. Here we go. Uh, first one, how are you always the best trainer on a Tuesday? I noticed this too, actually. <laughs> I'm definitely, um, that's something I reckon once I hit 23, I stopped doing that. It was more survival mode on a Tuesday, really. Um, so that's, that's definitely not me. okay next one can you please stop sending me to overpriced sushi i also experienced this with you as well (laughs) this is a common trend as you know there's a couple things in my life that i value very highly and sushi is one of them so anywhere i'm at i google best sushi near me i give a shit about price i just want the best Mm. um so yeah there's a funny story one of the acad lads here asked me because obviously they found out I was, I'm not only a coffee fiend but a sushi fiend they asked me oh yeah where do you go I go this incredible place just here so all three of them go sit down and they go they're normal you know they're normally used to like these dollar rolls or whatever they sit down it's like $15 for this massive like set so they all get a scarlet glasses of water and walk out <laughs> oh classic I think you sent me to a few of those in London too Okay, next one. Ask him why he's never been to a social in his life. <laughs> um, I'm very much like a like a time and 
like it's the right time, you know? Like if we got a game, like I can't mentally back up from big nights. So if we're going out for a couple casuals, talk shit, have some good food, I'm a massive fan of that. If we're going out to hammer a nightclub, that's just, I just know, I'm just, know myself well enough. I just go, see you guys, I'm out. And they go, where are you going? I go, I'm not fucking going out to that. I'm just honest enough to say it. But time and place is good. We have some crackers. For example, like we went away on a camping trip with the Tars. Perfect. You know, you can't kick onto a nightclub there. So you just got to be around each other. I'm more for so like the social side of a social as opposed to the kicking on and you're not remembering the night. That's no, just yeah. not for me, mate. Fair enough, mate. I'm with you there. Okay. Um, do, you, do you think his body will survive another two years? <laughs> So far, it's been going. So far, it's been going all right. Touch wood, but um, yeah, mate, I'll be right by then. I'll be a couple more years, you know. So I'm only 29 at the moment, so um, another two more years gets me to sort of 31. So, but even by that stage, mate, I'm still um, you know, you've seen a couple of hookers overseas that have gone to like 35, 36. So we'll just see, just keep going year to year as I have, and um, just keep reassessing things and how I'm feeling as I crack on. Love that. Okay, next one. This is, this is an interesting one. I'll be surprised if the answer is no. Have you ever lost a collision? Uh, yes, I definitely have. Um, the thing is, in the UK, everyone runs straight. So it's very easy to make um, collisions. Here, you're going for a shot. again. I think it was the Canes. You can probably find the clip. <laughs> the Canes ran like a just a normal I think it was like off 9 off 10 shape and I'm like square in front of this guy so I'm like I'm going to melt this bloke they're just so athletic in New Zealand a little bit of footwork so I've committed to a tackle complete, he's completely stepped me and run like I think he's run like 40 metres we played the Canes 40 metres to score a try so I'm like lying on the ground just watching him run away that's the difference you can't it's harder here uh, because everyone no matter what, are just so much more athletic and they play with such more space. So it's just a lot harder to make those collisions. Where in the UK, you're in the mud. You're playing between the 15s, so it's a lot easier to just plant your feet and make a dominant shot. Um, so yeah. Okay, last question. This has been one of the great podcasts, but we'll always love to finish with some advice. What's the best piece of advice you have for a Woodlad listener? Oh, I guess... From my experience as a young fella, I've actually had like a couple of people like reach out to me saying that, you know, they haven't sort of made teams. What should they do? What's the advice? I've had a couple of people like early 20s say like, what do you reckon? I'm not getting any love from super clubs. I would probably just say persistence is everything. Um, You can always make it work. You know, you don't have to be getting paid solely rugby to keep your rugby career going. I think that's like, people see a lot of the, I'm either a rugby player or I'm not. You can do both whilst staying on task of trying to be a rugby player to eventually get that contract that financially you can support yourself. I see a lot of people just kind of like, say, oh, they haven't made it. So they're just going to fuck rugby off and have a crack at after. You can do both. So as a young fella, if you're similar, you didn't go to rugby school or you didn't get like, the love you needed or the advice, just be persistent with it. Do stuff outside of rugby so you've got sort of your backups, but don't sort of just give up on it because the first couple of years or you see your mates 
making under 20s Aussie or you see your mates getting in super clubs. Like it just doesn't happen like that to, for everyone. So everyone's obviously got their different mm. stories. So I guess for me, mine was sort of like my persis- persistence and hunger to like just stay, not worry about anything else. Know that you have belief in yourself that um, you'll eventually get there. And, w- and when you do, you'll look back and be like, I'm so happy that I didn't just throw in the towel or I'm so happy that I also did stuff outside of rugby because, you know, I see a lot of people come out straight from schools. You know, they're signing people from 17 years old yeah. and finish rugby. They don't even know how to do it. They don't even know how to open Excel. You know, they don't know how to send it, like do anything. Yeah. So what's better? I would rather go in being a more complete person than solely footy is your life because you're just you're mentally so dictated on performance results at the end of the game at the end of the day it's just a game and you know you've got the media that go hard at people but it's just a game at the end of the day so for those young fellas that are i guess struggling a little bit or you know they might not have made a team or a rep team i can honestly say it does not fucking matter like you can make it doesn't matter. It's great if you make it, but it won't matter. If you stay persistent to it, you will eventually get to where you want to go to if you if you put in the effort. Oh, that is powerful. Wow. What a... Wow. wow. <laughs> incredible. <laughs> Absolutely incredible, mate. I knew it would be good, but I wasn't expecting that much. Mate. Genuinely, I reckon it's the most inspiring episode for any sort of young player who's sort of coming through the grades. There's so much in this episode um, about how to how to sort of make it through. And, mate, you're a perfect example of the way you've made it through, made a career for yourself, and look at you now, mate. Um, loving watching you play for the Tars and excited to see you in that gold jersey, which injury-dependent, I'm sure, is going to happen um, very shortly. But Oh, we'll see, mate. Um, like you say, one step at a time, and um, good luck for the Tars for the rest of the season. And, mate, it's been awesome having you on. What a lad, because what a lad you are. Well, I appreciate it, mate. You are a bigger lad than I am. But, um, mate, awesome. Thanks for having me. And sorry it took so long, you know. It's just a bit cringe sometimes listening to yourself speak. (laughs) Yeah, mate. Well, I know your OCD (laughs) schedule. It sort of took you two years to plan this one. (laughs) Yeah, mate, you've got two minutes, actually. Okay, let's go. (laughs) You've got two more minutes. I've got to go. I'm on a start schedule today. All right, cheers, mate. Appreciate it. All right, mate.